0: Well, hopefully you did have a holly jolly Christmas and hopefully you are looking forward to what 2024 brings to your doorstep. To your doorstep today on the Checkerboard Chatter, how about an old friend? How about a guy who, listen, I know there are similarities to come when it comes to sports fans him and I, though, man, we, we we might strike the bell at the same height and with the same strength. From the Sporting News, it's Dan Tracy joining us. Dan, we already talked before we hit record today. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'll get right to you. How have you adjusted to college football's free agency that is now known as the Transfer Portal, NILU, if you will?
1: Yeah, it's so different, right? I mean, a completely different world than three years ago where you, I, I I was looking at, um, you know, just looking into some of these bowl games, it's hard to find even one where you have the the same two quarterbacks that these teams started during the year. I mean, between transfers and, you know, guys declaring for the draft or, you know, all these changes uh, it's different. Um, I think, I think a lot of people would agree it would probably be better if we shifted this period of transfers and all this to after bowl season and after the playoffs, because it seems like the, the off season's overlapping a little bit with, with the season, but um. It's interesting. I mean, look, it, it, at the end of the day, it, it makes college football uh, a little more interesting during this window. You know, it extends the interest through January beyond just the playoff and the bowl games. So uh, it gives us more to talk about, but it's definitely, definitely different. And it's impacting these bowls, I think, more than we've ever imagined.
0: Like, be, be frank, I, I I went through it last night. I pulled up my app and I go, what am I going to watch tonight? OK, Kansas. OK, they get UNLV. But tomorrow. Oklahoma State, Texas A and M. Is Mike Oko really going gonna... to? okay, wait a second. When you look through this schedule, is there even a bowl game? Look, it's football, so we'll watch it. Right. It's like it's like pizza. It's like okay, some pizza's is like, eh, but we'll still eat pizza. Let me ask you a question: Is there a bowl game that you looked at and you went, I, "If I take the anchovies off of it, at least I'll try to watch this." Okay, there are still some palatable, if you will, games out there. Correct. Right.
1: Well, for one, you're right. I will watch uh, me and you, and I'm sure millions of other people will watch any of these, uh, just because you know, just because this is what we expect on the calendar. These bowls, Um, but I think there are a few good ones. I think um, I was looking at the schedule. I think the Alamo Bowl, which is Arizona and Missouri, if I have that right. I hope I do. Oh no, not Arizona and Missouri. Arizona, Oklahoma.
0: Correct. Um, I think
1: that would be interesting because Arizona. was a surprisingly really good team this year. They, they finished nine and three. Most of their wins came late in the season. Um, not a lot of guys leaving because that that's a program on the rise. Um, Noah Fafita, who was their quarterback, he had a really strong finish to the year. He, I don't even think he started the year as their starter. And um, and he's he's going to be somebody to watch. They have another, uh, another wide receiver, McMillan. I, I don't even want to pronounce his first name because I know I'm going to mess it up. But uh, he's going to be, I think, a top receiver in the 2025 draft. Uh, So that'll be interesting to watch because they're going up against uh, Jackson Arnold, who is the future at Oklahoma. He's going to be their quarterback next year. Uh, He's replacing Dylan Gabriel. And you know Oklahoma, they constantly churn out, even in the the post-Lincoln Riley era, they constantly churn out these uh, impressive quarterbacks. So I think seeing him make his first start, uh, kind of like if you remember when Tennessee's bowl last year when they were going up against Kate Clubnick, I think that was the the draw oh, yeah. for people was seeing this new freshman quarterback um, who you know didn't turn out to be didn't turn out to be his breakthrough game, we'll say. But you know, seeing a, a new quarterback get his feet wet, I think that's always interesting. I think the Cotton Bowl is interesting too because Ohio State uh, has lost so much from the team they had, and I think you know, but there's still Ohio State. Uh, and then Missouri is kind of bringing back a, a lot of this impressive team, 10-win team that they had. Um, Luther Burden the third, is their, is their number one receiver. I think he's going to be the top receiver in the 2025 draft. He's he's super fun to watch, had a great season, a huge part of why they they jumped to 10 wins this year. Uh, as far as I know, because he's not declaring for the draft, he is playing in that game. So I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see him on a stage like that.
0: Let me ask you: Where are you standing on Georgia, Florida State? Florida State's kind of look. I don't want to call it a protest, but they are a shell, and I think that's putting it completely overdone. I mean, like they're a shell. That I mean, that, they're not even a shell. They're, they're, they're. With every day I see a promo, Dan, that says tune into the Orange Bowl between Georgia and Florida State. I go, why would I want to watch a pinata get whacked when I can go on YouTube and see that? Your thoughts on I don't really I don't want to pull a three to four weeks old story back to the forefront, but most deserving or best teams conversation and your thoughts on how Florida State has handled the fact that they're not going to play for a national championship.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't blame them for being upset. I mean, look at no matter the circumstances, no matter what I felt was uh, was true or not about who the best four teams are. If I was a team that went thirteen and zero, you know, I in a, in a power conference, I would say, look, I checked all the boxes, every single one. And I didn't get the first time it's ever
0: happened. How do you not put a power five undefeated team into the playoff?
1: Right, and it'll it'll never happen again because we're going to the twelve team playoff now. So it's a completely unique situation. Um, If I was Florida State, yes, I I would be I would be upset. You know, no matter who I thought was truly one of the best four teams, because I I would believe if you check off all the boxes, then you should be in. Um, Look, you know, are they are they one of the best four talent wise without Jordan Travis? Probably not. But I I don't think that they've ever I don't not sure the process has ever counted who the who the actual best four teams are I think they've the way the committee has operated even if it's not in you know the rules or anything I think I I feel that they've operated in a way that's almost like the March you know that March Madness committee the NCA mm-hmm. basketball selection committee where they do give it to the foremost deserving instead of the four best at this moment aside for maybe you know one or two times so. Yeah, I think they have a bone to pick in terms of the Orange Bowl. Boy, that I think they're they're down what nineteen players. I, I believe. I think that's the latest. I don't
0: know. Let me hit refresh on Twitter. It might be up <laughs> to twenties now. I gotta check.
1: I, I, I think it's nineteen, and it's it's crazy. And you know, George has lost a lot too, uh, but not as much. So you know, it, I think it, it, it may be ugly. I mean, look, they're starting. I think the latest a few days ago is they're starting Brock Glenn. Florida state who started that game against Louisville that, you know, a lot of people feel knocked them out of the playoff, even though they won because he's the third stringer and uh, Tate Rotomaker, who's the backup is transferring. And he put out a lengthy statement saying, you know, why it's, it's gotta be, you know, it's, it's a decision he was forced to make because Florida state is looking at other quarterbacks in the portal and Rotomaker is going to be, I think he's entering his final year of eligibility. He's already played four years. So, you know, that, I, so I understand it because he's got to go find his his playing time somewhere else if it's not going to be at Florida State. But that really leaves them in a in a really tough situation going up against the Georgia team that no matter how much, you know, Georgia's lost, you know, they've got the talent in the wings. They've got all those five stars. So it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding. And, you know, people are going to have reactions to where they're going to see them lose by. 30 whatever and people are going to say we'll see that's why they shouldn't have been in the playoff but exactly. it's not accurate because none of those guys would have left yet if if they were in the playoff
0: from a tennessee standpoint i'm not asking you to go into the ingredients of the guts of tennessee but from a thousand foot view the macro if you will we are describing the tennessee eight and four season as a disappointment i wouldn't say failure but a disappointment, especially after an Orange Bowl victory against Cape Klubnick, 11 and 2 finish, hidden hooker Josh Eipel, Pow, Tennessee's back. That's a significant step back this year from 11 and 2 and 8 and 4. From the macro, when you hear Tennessee, when you see their performances, what say you?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Because I think the thought after that bowl, after the Orange Bowl last year was, look, you know, Joe Milton may not be exactly Hendon Hooker, but here's proof that you can plug in, you know, he's he's obviously a very talented quarterback when it comes right. to arms. So I think a lot of people took that and said, well, here's proof, you know, you can plug somebody into this Josh Heupel offense and still get a, you know, a, a high flying offense in the, in that can compete with the best in the SEC. Um, you know, and I think you saw that at times this year, but it definitely wasn't what people thought, you know, the, I think the, the running game took a little bit of a step forward, but the, the passing game was definitely a step back more than people expected. Um, but, you know, I, I think you still saw elements uh, of that Josh Heupel offense where, you know, you could say, well, if you find the right situation and you get a couple more talented receivers in there, obviously they lost Brew McCoy during the middle of the season. You know, if you get the right pieces in there, we have the right coach. Uh, you can find success in the SEC now. You know the SEC is adding Texas, it's adding Oklahoma, so it, the road is going to get even tougher. But um, I, I, I do think, while it was a little bit of a, of, a, of a disappointment for sure, you know, especially in games against Alabama, where you feel like you're right there, but you know you can't beat them. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's there, there's still there's still a so so far ahead of where they were, you know, during the Butch Jones era and times like that, where where they were. Know, five and seven, four and eight, and you felt like they were in a different class. To the SEC, you know, I think now they have hope to compete with with some of those top teams in the conference. Uh, it's just a matter of you know building on that momentum and bringing in the right quarterback, bringing in the right weapons to make sure that that offense is firing on all cylinders. From
0: an SEC standpoint, Dan Tracy, just Texas whatever they do this year, you know, next year they could have Quinn Ewers back. He could be your Heisman Trophy favorite out of the gate. They could be the defending national champions. They could be curb stomp from Washington and Quinn Ewers decides last second, "Yo, yeah, oh, no, I'm going to the NFL. You don't know what you're getting. How does Texas? And I'll tell you right now, if I'm Oklahoma and I see what I got out of the gate SEC schedule-wise compared to what Texas got out of the gate SEC schedule-wise, I'm throwing up a red flag going, what gives? Literally, literally, Texas leaves the state twice in all of conference play. Now, I know what if there's a Texas fan watching this that goes, we go to Ann Arbor, but we go to Ann Arbor. Gotcha. Good. That's a great schedule. Congratulations. Dan, they have neutral site games against Oklahoma and Dallas. They play Texas A&M in College Station. They go to Fayetteville, just a hair over the border in Arkansas, and then let me check my notes. They take on juggernaut Vanderbilt in Nashville. Okay, your thoughts on te- this is a Texas Oklahoma question. Anytime I get a chance to poke at whoever the real UT is and talk about the Alamo and volunteers and everything with that happened in the war, your thoughts on Texas and how they'll not only one fair against Washington, a chance to play for the Natty, but then now officially they get their SEC patch on their jersey.
1: Yeah, I, I've been on Washington's bandwagon for a while. You know, I mean, that's that's, true that's,
0: I knew we had more in common than what that it was is like such
1: done. a. You know, we talk about, you know, we talk about Josh Heupel's offense and how you, you know, it, you can, if you plug in the right guys, like it's going to fly. Callen, what Kellen DeVore has done at, at Washington is is incredible. I mean, look, they went they went four and eight. I know this is a Texas question, but I, I'm i going to use no this, this yeah. as an opportunity. <laughs> they went four and eight two years ago. They, they fired uh, Jimmy Lake. There was a little bit of a scandal there. And he comes in and he brings Michael Penix, and they just, they've done nothing but win. I mean, how many games have they lost? You know, two or something like that along the way. They had, you know, between the two years, they have they have something something really special there. And people doubted them so much. You know, I mean, they were an underdog against Oregon twice, I believe. Um, and they just kept winning. So I don't doubt that they can win against Texas um, you know, in a, a neutral site game. Uh, especially with with you know Penix's experience. I mean, he is in he's in year six. That they have two NFL caliber receivers. Romeo dunze is one of the best in the country. Yeah. So I, I'm I, I'm, I mean, I, you know, am I, am I picking them? I might, you know, but I, I definitely think they'll they'll be a little more competitive than people think. I thought the same thing about TCU last year, because you see how that team fights and Washington has a similar fight in them, um, you know, and then in terms of Texas going to the SEC, I mean, look, they, they played some tight games this year in an 11 and one season. I think it was, uh, we could call it a down year. For the Big 12, you know, I, I think all around, you know, they were incorporating some new pieces from other conferences, UCF, Cincinnati, teams like that. Baylor didn't have the right year. I think outside of, of Oklahoma, it was a little bit of a of a down year uh, for the Big 12. And Texas got into some fights. I mean, you know, part of it is that Quinn Ewers was injured for a bit. So like when they had Malik Murphy, you know, they had a couple games where they had to dig themselves out of a hole. Kansas State, boy, they, they, they had – they. Kansas State was effectively a toss-up game where it looked like for a moment that they were definitely going to lose that game and Kansas State kind of bailed them out. And, you know, you go to the SEC, you don't –
0: Go ahead, Dan. Dan, I can edit that out. As you were saying, you can go to the SEC if you're Texas.
1: Yeah. When when it comes to the SEC schedule, you know, you don't get you don't get as many of those opportunities, although maybe next year they do have a a little bit of a a weaker introduction to the SEC. But come 2025 and 2026, you know, you're not you're you're going to have a schedule where if you have an off game or two, uh, chances are, it's not going to fall on the right date. That you're going to you're going to end up getting a, a tougher opponent than you got in the Big 12, and you know the same goes for Oklahoma. Some of their down games this year where that turned out to be wins might not turn out to be wins next year. Um, but yeah, like you said, though, this interesting part of the SEC schedule is it, it's so it's so cyclical now. Is that you know if you if you end up in the right year where you get the the you know the right opponents, you're going to have such a an easier road. Than the other teams. It, it doesn't mean that your your schedule is going to be easy necessarily.
0: Right. Um,
1: but I mean like look at Florida's schedule. I mean, Florida like you could pencil Florida in for for 5 and 7 or 6 and 6 next year yeah. it's because that schedule is impossible. So, you know, when, when Texas comes along a schedule like that, you know, they're going to have to hope that their their recruiting is is, you know, going at 100% and the the transfer portal is turned up all the way to 100 because they're going to need Real SEC talent across the board to ensure that they go 11 and one or, or 10 and two, which could get you into the playoff. Now,
0: I want to jump ahead to hoops a few more minutes with Dan Tracy joining us. I thought ESPN posted an incredible article about hmm, let's call it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, because it was heading into the holiday. They had dictated that over the last six years, teams that were ranked in the top 12 after week five or six of the college basketball regular season had gone on to make the sweet 16 and it's a consecutive record. So they showed who the 12 teams were. And, and of course there were other teams like Florida Atlantic who had done it and Loyola Chicago who weren't ranked in there and stuff like that, but consistently 12 of those top 12 teams all made the sweet 16, like six consecutive years. So then they took that list and they narrowed it down even more. And they said, here are the realistic teams who we believe can win the national championship this year. It's still hard to believe that Tennessee, the volunteers, are on that list. You add a guy like Dalton Connect, you add other shooters like Ganey from Upstate. What is your overall thought? Look, I get it. It's not conference play. Sometimes people who watch this, Tennessee fans, I'm talking to you. They look college football where you got to go undefeated and then they try to take a football mentality to basketball and they're like, Oh my God, they lost to Purdue and Arizona out in Maui or Honolulu. Excuse me. Your overall thoughts on the murderers row schedule. Rick Barnes has no problem putting together and what you see out of a Tennessee team that has been helped by the transfer
1: portal. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're completely right. Cause now more than ever, I mean, you know, with the parody in college basketball losing a few games, nowhere near you know a death blow for a team season. I mean look at UConn last year. I think they went undefeated in in, in, they went undefeated in, in out of conference play. But in the big east they finished fifth or something along those lines. They lost
0: five of six Dan.
1: Yeah and they I think they ended up with like nine losses and you know, and then and then look what
0: into stores, and Dan Hurley's calling his team out.
1: Absolutely, and it's happening already. You know, with, with they already yeah. lost to Seton Hall, and I don't think anybody's panicking for UConn because it's the way it goes when you're in a tough conference or when you put together a tough schedule, which which Tennessee did. Um, you know, I think Tennessee ceiling. I think we can all agree Tennessee ceiling is much higher than it was last year because of the offense. Um, you when you look at some of those those trends, like you talked about, you know. Who, what you know which which teams go to the national championship, which go to the final four, things like that? I think one of the biggest ones that I see is is the vast majority of them. People talk about this every year. The vast majority of them are are top twenty in uh, adjusted offensive rating and defensive rating at the end of the season, uh, when they you know for the final four uh, in Ken, Palm, Ken Palm's rankings. I was looking, Tennessee is is fourth in defense. so we know you know we know they're set there. They're thirty first in offense. And I think most of that, you know, most of the reason they're outside the top twenty comes from that game, you know, those games against Purdue and Kansas, where the offense wasn't necessarily, especially against Kansas, wasn't necessarily firing on all cylinders because in other games they were. Um but the reason why their ceiling is so high is like you know you look, all right, the the game the games against Purdue and Kansas that they lost. You look at it offensively, not the game they wanted. I, I think you know, we can all agree that that their their offense uh, has a higher ceiling. Than it than it looked like in those games, you know the uh, the efficiency was not there. The ball was not
0: falling in the second half. Tennessee fans right. are here, and you say that going that was an abysmal final twenty minutes. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And then we, you know, you go to that game against North Carolina a few days later, which they uh, they lost. But I mean, my God, the offense, you know, they put up what ninety points or something along those lines. Ninety-one. Yeah, Dalton Connect was, was playing out of his mind. Um, And then the defense gave up 102. But you look at that game and you're like, you know what, if we go into the tournament or if we go into SEC play, I'm pretty confident the defense won't give up 102. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, is it, you know, is it a concern that maybe it can happen occasionally? Maybe. But that defense is so good. You know, Rick Barnes always has strong defense. All the metrics look good for the defense. Every other game, you know, against powerhouses like Kansas and Purdue, the defense look good. I think you can take that game and say, look, we're probably not going to give up 102 the vast majority of the time, no matter who we play. Uh, so I think, you know, that was a, an encouraging game where you say, look, this offense has much more potential than last year. I mean, we sat here and talked about it last year and we talked about their physicality, their defense, um, you know, how they, you know, they had a, a little bit of a favorable uh, schedule or favorable result in their, in their group, you know, in the tournament because those top seeds had been knocked out obviously they ended up losing by a hair to FAU, but this year there's so much more than just the physicality and the defense. They do have that. First of all, they have that number one option in Dalton Connects. I think Absolutely. getting a, a reliable number two option is is going to be a challenge in SEC play. Like Josiah Jordan James, you know, you look at some of his games. He he can drop twenty on you. He had a you know twenty three point game, I think it was against NC State. Um, but then against Purdue and Kansas, he was kind of a he kind of disappeared offensively. So you need somebody to become that legitimate number two option next to Dollar Connect. But the ceiling offensively is much higher than it was last year. And when you can balance out those two, the offense and the defense, those are the teams. I know it doesn't sound like rocket science that the best teams move on, you know, to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, things like that. But when you can balance that offense and that defense out, you can, you can go as far as you want. So their ceiling's definitely higher than it was last year. Of course, SEC play is going to be a challenge.
0: I know a lot of people right now are going to hear me or hear you say that and go, well, ask them are they going to go to the Final Four. He answered the question by saying the ceiling is certainly there, and if you think you can dictate who's going to the Final Four oh, yeah. December 27th, I've got oceanfront property in Arizona. To oh, get yeah, it. But I do have this question to ask you. Are we on the doorstep of potentially seeing a back-to-back national champion? I know they've got a big man down right now, and there's some concerns of – I don't want to say longevity, but it's concerns of when it comes to who you can get 40 minutes out of. Impressed of what I've seen thus far from UConn, particularly that trip they took to Seattle. Neutral floor, Spokane to Seattle is not that far of a drive. Yeah. What they did to Gonzaga a couple of Saturday nights, Sunday nights ago made me go, UConn might be in store for a back-to-back run.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at UConn and you say, you yeah, know, of course they're going to lose a few games. They're in the Big East. But they can beat anybody. I mean, I, I don't think there's any team in the nation where you can say, oh, I think they'll have a tough time with them. Yeah, you know, doesn't mean, like you said, cannot predict who's going to be in the Final Four in December. You never can, because it just takes one in okay. March, just one game. But they can beat anybody. And they proved it last year. And this year in non-conference play, they proved it again. And by the way, and this goes to, to, to Tennessee's credit, too, I do think playing a really tough non-conference schedule last year helped. Prepare them. Of course, the Big East helps to prepare you too. I think that helped prepare them for some of those, you know, out-of-conference teams in March. Um, and they did it again. They had a very tough. They played Kansas, and they they, you know, they played Gonzaga. They played all these teams, and now they're going to go play a gauntlet in the Big East. Uh, and, and I think that helps prepare you. So I do think that they are capable of beating anybody in March. They have to make sure they stay healthy. They lost Stefan Castle, who's a very talented rookie. They lost him for a bit, and now Donovan Klingon, who they kind of expected to take on that that role that Adama Sinogo played last year. He he had first of all he's he's dealt with a few a few bumps along the way, uh, non injury related, just because he's a sophomore. His offense wasn't all the way there last year. He's still trying to figure that out. Now he's out for three to four weeks with uh, a foot injury. And so you know you were you were kind of hoping that he was gonna gonna find his rhythm. I think he was looking like he was finding his rhythm a bit before the injury. Now you're not gonna get him back till maybe the end of January, and you gotta you know, you gotta get him ramped up over a six week period and make sure he's he's fully firing on all cylinders by the time you get to March. So they have to make sure they get healthy and stay healthy. That's one thing. But if they're healthy, they've got a little bit of everything. I mean, they've got shooters, you know, Alex Caraban, Cam Spencer, who they got over from Rutgers. Uh, you know, when they've got Klingon back, they've got size, they've got youth, they've got experience, they've got a great coach in Dan Hurley. So the, they are a team. I think that's going to be one of the best storylines of March is we have a legitimate shot to see a team go back to back, see a team that has thrived on this that big stage in March. Um, and March is all about storylines, right? So that's going to be a huge sure. We'll see whether they can go back to back.
0: Is it fair to say right now, we'll let you go on this one. Last year, I believe it was a four, two sevens and an eight who got to the final four, I might be off by one of those seeds. Is it fair to say this year, if you're ones or something to the neighborhood of Kansas, Purdue, Yukon, is it fair to say that we're going to get a one in the final four this year? Because as much as we loved last year, San Diego state FAU, the chaos that was ratings reflected on kind of like, okay, this is kind of cute, but when do we get, are we going to get the Maui invitational 2.0 in Phoenix, Arizona that year? I mean, Tennessee fans were trying to flood to Honolulu because of just the level yeah. of talent. Are we going to get those big blue bloods, or at least those flexible teams, back into the Final Four pitcher in Phoenix?
1: I think. I think chances are. I mean, I, you know, a, a lot of people who follow, obviously not us, but, but there are a lot of people who follow March Madness. I would say looking for upsets, and like only like, of course, Absolutely. we like upsets. But you know, there's people who are like, if there if there are no upsets, they're out. Like they, you know, they only they only look at it for that. I have a feeling. And it's not because of of necessarily the way the the hierarchy is structured this year. I think just because the way the pendulum swings, you know, we may not see those massive upsets like we saw last year, a 15 to to the sweet 16, a 16, you know, being a one. Um, I I just think naturally, you know, just the way it always swings back, we may not see that same kind of, uh, you know, chaos this year. And yes, I, I do think... I would I would say pretty confidently I would think we see a one seed this year. I think you know one of those teams, the Kansas, is the Purdue's. You know Houston's going to be tested. So if they're a one seed, it means they really did a great job against the Big 12 schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know UConn, even Marquette, who I think can you know if they put it all together, could be yeah. a one seed. I think I think one or two of those teams should be in there. You know I think maybe the days of seeing four one seeds or three one seeds and a two seed may be done just because. Yeah. With, with the transfer portal and with, you know, with everything, there's so much parity now, but yeah, it, it, when you watch Arizona, you watch Purdue, you watch Kansas, you feel like one of those teams has to, they're so talented. They're so balanced. You feel like one or two of them have to make that run. Uh, so yeah, I think we're going to see some, some of those, they may not be blue bloods because I'm not sure we call Arizona and Purdue right. uh, and, you know, and, and Houston blue bloods, But I think we're going to see some of the most talented teams in the country make a run. Um, And it's just a matter there's so many of them because, you know, we talked about UConn and we talked about Marquette and things like that. There's so many of them that it it, it is hard to say which one it's going to be that's going to make that run. Uh, But you feel like, yeah, we're going to see a, a little less chaos than last year. But that means we're also going to see some of the best players and best teams in the country on the on the biggest stage. So I think it's a win for everybody in that case.
0: Dan Tracy from Sporting News. Dan, Happy New Year. We appreciate you, man.
1: Happy New Year to you as well.